I'd like you to open your Bibles tonight to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 9, just the end of it. It says, if we will not believe, we will not be established. It's as simple as that. Could it be so in an honest, down-home Kentucky thinking tonight, just being who we are? Is it possible that a lot of Christian, well-meaning, good folks are just not established, not stable, not certain, not on secure ground because they will not believe? Have they been presented something, have we been presented something that we're to believe that is challenging? And therefore, we have sought an option to believing so we could find something that we can feel good about. And yet that uneasiness going through life that we don't feel established. Well, God told his people that. He said, if you will not believe, you will not be established. I titled the message tonight, Do We Speak of Believing Too Much? That's the title. Do we speak of or on believing too much? I had a young man tell me that. I've had two people tell me that in my life. Once I had a, like a three-night meeting at a place, and the first night I spoke on faith, I stayed in a house with a, a man who had slept in his son's room and his boy and that night, and I were laying in bed, and he said, what are you going to speak about tomorrow night? And I said, faith. He said, you've already spoke about that. And you know, while we might think that's humorous or something, for him, it's just a subject. It's something you ought to speak about, whether you gathered in what it said or whether you got convicted about anything or not. You ought to do that because faith is a Bible word. We're people of faith and so forth. And so it's a good thing. But you don't want to preach on it every night. Let's talk about this place. It was for the last 45 years of my life, this has been one message that has kind of settled in my heart. It's not the only thing in the Bible. Some people think that I think it's the only thing in the Bible because they say that's all you ever talk about. Well, I don't think that's true. Have we spoke about other things here? Have we ever spoken about the Sermon on the Mount? Well, sure we have. But I keep coming back to believing because in my experience and in my understanding, there's nothing that supersedes it as a great need in our lives. If we don't believe, we won't be established. We may be religious. We may be busy and we may be commended by other people for our accomplishments. But if we won't believe, whatever that means, we'll get to that in a moment. If we don't believe on God's terms, what believing means, we won't be established. Shall I repeat it again? There is a way that seems right. And people who talk about a way that seems right so passionately, with so much emotion, maybe a little drama, about a way, but upon looking at the way, it's not exactly God's way. It's a church way. It's a man's way. It's a system's way. And we think, well, it couldn't be wrong if we're that diligent and energetic and compassionate about it. It couldn't be wrong. And yet God says the end of that way is death. Maybe that's why believing is too much of a challenge for the church and they've looked for something else. Or, or they say, why don't you preach on something else? I remember a young man who used to be here. He, I thought he'd pretty well gotten his life straightened out from previous issues. He told me one time, he said, you talk about faith too much. 
And I remember thinking at the time, I what? And he said, that's all you ever talk about. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. It's the most important thing I think I talk about as a Christian. And so I, I tried to explain to him, but he thought there were other themes in the Bible we ought to talk about. Some Old Testament stories that are encouraging. Well, that's, I can't argue with that either. But when it comes right down to it, without faith, you can't please God. I don't care what you do. I don't care how much you're into what you're doing. If it's not the way that God wants us to live, it's not going to be what God wants. So what does the word believe mean? I mean, you, anytime you're going to explain something, you've got to have a definition. Now, I didn't learn that in school. But that has become, to me, in all these years, 45 years of preaching, that has become, to me, uh, one of the necessary things to do in preaching. you got a title. Explain what the definition of that title is, and then you build on it. Now, I don't know how many classes I would pass with that kind of uh, whatever, but it doesn't matter. What does believe mean? Well, the Greek word, which we're most familiar with, believing the word believe is not used that much in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament especially by the Gospel of John, is used a lot. And the word believe simply means to be persuaded to do something. To be persuaded or convinced or have in your heart a certain confident assurance about something and you do it because you're confident and because you're assured. Now, if you say, I believe God, but you don't act in accordance with what he says, you're an admirer of his word. You can read well, but you're not a believer. Now, see how that sounds? Because we assume, I think, that because we go to church, we've had a religious experience, that because of that, we're believers. We believe by virtue of being somewhere that believing is taught. That hadn't turned out to be true. Lots of people were in the right place and never got it. They shudder to think that, that they would have to walk that way, or that they would have to trust God and not have something else to trust in an emergency. That asking me to count on God to do something when I don't know if I can handle that, and this message is a little too hard. I don't think God ever intended for it to be hard. I think it's always going to be a challenge. Because it will separate those that have it from those that don't have it. But to be persuaded of, to be persuaded or to induce somebody to do something, that's what we mean by believe. Again, when Jesus asked us to believe him, he didn't ask us to mentally agree with the facts of what he said. Because you can say amen to most anything the Bible says. That doesn't mean you believe it. It means, yeah, that's in the Bible. Amen. Oh, I've heard that. Amen. Yes, Jesus is coming. Amen. And yet the Bible says if you believe that, if you believe that he is coming and that when he comes, you're going to be like him because of this refining work, he said every man that has that hope in him will purify himself even as he is pure. That's 1 John 3. So if I believe that he's coming, then I must also believe that this will follow. And if I know he's coming or I believe he's coming, but I'm living more or less as I always have, technically I'm, I'm not really believing him. I'm admiring his word. I'm admiring what he said. Thank you for this and thank you for that. But I don't believe. 
You could say the word believe means an action that is taken because of the certainty of evidence. Maybe not seen, but, you know, the Bible says faith is the evidence of things not seen. But whether you're getting on an airplane, you have faith in a pilot, don't you? You better, because when they shut that door, you're in. Or the pop machine. Or you drink the pop. You believe it won't kill you. You believe you're going to get that whenever you hit the button. You believe. Not because you see what's inside the machine. You put your money in it because naturally you're convinced. You live with it. You live around it. Everybody does it. You believe that when you put your money in a machine, something comes out that you want. You believe when you get on the plane, it will get to its destination. It won't crash. That it will be able to land and you'll be safe. You can't make that happen. In fact, when you get on the plane, it's out of your hands completely. It is totally in somebody else's hands. Well, the same way it is scripturally and spiritually with faith. When you turn to God with your whole heart, your mind is not used to this. Your background is not used to this. Your understanding of life can't equate to this. And you come to God with a mind somewhat confused. And God begins speaking to you. And little by little, as you latch on to the words and you make yourself, I will do this, this confusion goes away and your mind gets renewed and suddenly it becomes clear. Well, yeah. Well, of course. If I really believe that I am whatever, then I'll act like I am because faith is an act. If I really believe this will work, I'll put my money in the machine. If I really believe this car will start, I'll turn on the key or push the button, depending on the car you have. It's an act. And folks, we're not here tonight just to hear more about God as much as to be inspired by God to live like that, to live on his terms. And you say, well, it's hard. It's hard for all of us. I can tell you there's a lot of things that I still get challenged about. That I think, Lord, is there just kind of a little room to get away from that? And it keeps coming back saying the same old, same old, same old. Follow me for a moment, John 3. Go to John 3 and John 5. Let me show you the emphasis early in the gospel of John on the word believe. John 3, 36. John 3, 36. Jesus, of course, is speaking. He said, he that believeth on the Son of God hath everlasting life. Now, let's take our definition and apply to this word. He that is convinced of who the Son of God is, what the Son of God has promised, and what he has required, and is willing to live like that that he's taught him, he has eternal life. It doesn't mean he that mentally assents to what the Bible says is saved. How can a man be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I do, I'm saved. Well, now it's more to it than just saying you believe. There's a life you live. Faith without works is what? And faith isn't something, as I said the other day, faith isn't something that started. Faith is an ongoing thing. You have faith in Jesus Christ that began in a certain day or a certain time, and it continues on. In fact, it grows. It produces. Peter wrote, you receive the end of that faith. And you know what the end of that faith is? When you hold it all the way to the end? the salvation of your souls. 
And you're tempted a thousand, thousand times to give up and quit. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. What's he enduring? A trial of his faith. An attack on what he believes. That's what he's enduring. But he said in John 3, 36, he that believes on the Son of God has everlasting life. And he that believeth not, that's the word believe with an A in front of it. It means refusal. To be persuaded. I'm not going to do that. That's too hard. I don't think I'm up to that. That's over my head. I'm afraid of that. What if I fail? And so you draw back. It's very simple to understand to me. You just draw back. He that refuses to believe, he shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Chapter 5 and verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my words and is persuaded to live like that has everlasting life. And he shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Then go back again to John 3. Look at verse 16 through 18. How common is this verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever mentally agrees that he came into the world shall not perish but have everlasting life. Does it say that? It just simply says believeth. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but has everlasting life. Again, believing meaning to be persuaded to live like and act like he is so, he is true. And what he said is what I'm governed by, what I follow, what governs my life. That's what believing means. In verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So you see, all through God's gospel, it's laced with the word believe. It's always to me, it's a challenge. Because it's a compelling word, believe is. Hearing is simple. But there's more to Christianity than hearing. It's hearing and doing. He that heareth my words and doeth them. He it is. Or be ye doers of the word and not just hearers only. They go together. That's what believing is. You hear and you do. And you do because you're convinced. You've had a relationship with God, an experience with God where this is truly in your heart. Now, let me share with you a few things tonight because of, again, the question that's been asked, why do you preach on faith so much? Is that all you ever preach on? It's getting stale, you know. We know what you're going to say before you start, which you do not because I don't know what I'm going to say myself. I don't always know. Let me give you a few reasons why we believe as Christians, why we believe. Why are you always talking about believing? Why do you believe so much? Well, let me give you a good one. Probably one of the very best of all the reasons to believe is because God allows me to. How's that? God gives me the privilege of doing it. Well, don't you think that anybody can believe? No, I don't. 
If believing was just a matter of the intellect, listening to the Bible and figuring it all out, Jesus would not be the author of your faith. You would be the author of your faith. You figured it out. A lot of intellectual heady Pharisees, for example, religious people, figured it out as they wanted it to be figured out. They would have said to anybody, if anybody has faith, they do. But what they had was not what God gave them, for it didn't come from God. Listen, you're living in a world that can't handle the truth. You are. Let me just say this, because I'll probably say it again Sunday. Religious persecution has started. It has begun in America. One of the most unpopular things that will start coming on the horizon is religious convictions and taking a stand. And anybody that does not conform to the sinister elements of the world sets himself or herself up for persecution. Now, I don't understand all the law up in Indiana, but I think I was raised, maybe I was raised in Indiana, that's why I feel like this. I believe I have a right as a businessman to not serve somebody that I don't want to serve or to not bake a cake for somebody that I don't want to bake cake for or build a house for somebody that I don't want to build a house for. If the Jehovah's Witnesses wanted me to build one of their houses of worship called Kingdom Hall, I wouldn't do it. Why? Because of my convictions? Uh-oh, when you say that, here comes, uh, here comes all the experts in the world. Here's Miley Cyrus, and here's Charles Barkley, and some professional wrestler. These are experts telling you why you're such a narrow-minded beep. Because, you see, that pressure is to get you to draw back and not be religious, to compromise your faith, to ease up, to give in. If you were a restaurant owner, and, and, and I guess if two gay people came in, two lesbians came in wearing bikinis, I mean little bikinis, and they wanted to sit down and eat a meal in a nice restaurant, you have to serve them? I don't think I should have to do that. Why? Because I have a, not only a social conviction about that, that's just plain isn't right. And you say, well, you'll have to serve them. Well, they might sit there for a long time before they get what they want. But then that would make me ugly, but I, you know. All I'm saying is this is just a little thing that's the way this is starting. It's just a little thing. And all these abominable groups and abominable experts are all trying to gain the approval of a sinful society by coming against religious convictions. In America, who do you think you are to have a stand like that? Trust me, you heard this on April the 1st. It's not a joke. April the 1st, 2015, this is happening. It has started in America. Indiana is just one of 30 states that believe the way they do, but they've chosen to start here. And they'll put enough pressure on people till they'll all give in, just like same-sex marriage. Who ever heard of such a stupid thing? And yet everybody caves into it. People are caving into little threats, little threats, little groups. Again, experts on social behavior like rock stars or, again, Miley Cyrus, they know what's best for America. America, folks, listen to me, a time of darkness. Jesus said, darkness is coming when man will not be able to work. 
the freedom to go out and express your views may be coming to an end. I don't know. Our children are going to have to have some convictions too. Because this is who the devil's after. If he can warp this crowd right here and they're coming next, it's just a matter of time till we pass off the scene. But this group, he'll run the next generation. If it comes, Jesus will have to come. But anyway, back to where I was before you got me off track. We believe because God allows us to. I cannot of my own have faith in God without God giving me that. It is a gift, not of myself. It was something that God sovereignly, by his choice, gave to me. He said, well, you were paying attention. That was part of his work too. What is it? John 3 again, verse 27. Doesn't that say something about this? A man can receive nothing. Of course, anything spiritual value. A man can receive a drink of water without God bringing it to him. But keep it in context. A man can receive nothing except it be given to him from above. Didn't he say that? That means we should be thankful for everything we have, especially the freedom and the privilege to believe God. Even as flawed and as halting and as uncertain as we are in believing sometimes and the fear that we face and fold up under. Did you notice this? God keeps bringing you back. Even when you flopped and squalled and fell, he still brought you back. You're still here. He's not done with us. The work that he started, he's going to finish. And the work that he started, folks, is going to be a work of faith. Because the last thing he'll say to you before you pass into glory is, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what he'll say. And he did it. Again, Jesus is the author. It originates with him. There might be a faith that's similar, but if it's not from Jesus, it's the wrong deal. It'll cut you short somewhere. It'll quit somewhere. But the faith that comes from him means that he is the author of that faith. The second reason that we believe God is because I cannot please God any other way. In my pursuit and desire as I become a Christian and I'm thrust on the stage of salvation, this is pretty common in, in church. Now that we're out there and we're saved and we professed our salvation to people, we say, now what do we do? Because it seems like the next thing we ought to do is to do something. We need to do something. It's something that we're going to do because this is how we show we've been saved. We do something. And yet the Bible says the only way we can really please God is not by going and doing, but by believing. But it's believing that takes you all the places that he wants you to go. You believe God. You hear his voice. You respond because faith is an act that responds. Hebrews eleven six. for without faith, it is impossible to please God. Therefore, I'm compelled, and so are you. It is necessary for us to believe or to be able to look into the mirror of God's word and ask ourselves, as I am living right now, Am I believing? 
Are you pleased with the choices I'm making and the direction I'm going, the way I'm living? Am I missing it somewhere and getting by with it but feel all right about it? Or am I truly believing? Do I find myself more and more in a minority? Do I find myself more and more being viewed with skepticism because I believe things that hardly anybody else believes? Well, then you're on believing ground. Because I think that's going to happen in these days we're in. I don't like this. I don't even like to talk about it, but I can't help but say it. I believe a lot of Christians will fold up in the days ahead because of pressure, heat, the pointing of the finger, the outlandish lies and gossip that will be said about you. And there will be this urge to conform to the way of the world so the world will leave you alone. Because Jesus said, it's the world that will hate you, but it's not you they hate, it's me. If you were of the world, he said, the world would not hate you. So if you want the world's favor, the world's approval, and people to leave you alone, act like them. Talk like them. Deal in, in life with things like they do. Dress like them. Tattoo and wring your nose like them. Oh, they'll think you're cool. They'll think you're cool. But somebody in heaven who a long time ago alerted you to what he wants told you all of that's wrong. All of that's wrong. And we were in the valley of decision one day. God said, and I know that's wrong, but on the other hand, what if I lose my job? What if you do? What if you do? What if you do lose your job? What if you don't get the promotion? Is the promotion more than heaven? If it comes to that? Didn't he say something that the things of this world that are greatly esteemed are an abomination to God? How much people want the world and add Christ and somehow to it? Because the world doesn't mind you having religion as long as you don't make a deal out of it. The experts I told you about earlier that I read on Google today, <laughs> they're not against having church, not yet. They just want you to keep your mind to yourself and keep your business out of the world. Just leave us alone and have your narrow-minded, bigot views to yourself. They think we're phobic. I think there's a phobia, but it's not with us, it's them. I think there's a Christian phobia. And if you, I could say it, a heterosexual phobia. But anyway, anyway. Thirdly, we believe because it's required. It's required of me, it's not an option. Hebrews eleven six. remember what the last part of the verse says? The first part says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And the second part says, for. Now, you preachers, I'm sure you know all this. Hebrews eleven six. For he that comes to God must. Does it say must? Does that mean it has to be? Does it mean there's no substitutes? There's nothing you can put in there besides that. He that comes to God must what? Must believe. 
Must believe what? Now, does must mean there's no substitute? The word must means there's nothing you can replace this with. He that comes to God or she that comes to God must believe. What? What do you believe? That he is. Now, wait a minute. If he is, then he is. And if he is where we are, then he is where we are. And if he knows what's in our heart, then he knows what's in our heart. And if he knows why we are afraid to go forward and we draw back, he knows that, doesn't he? We know he's there. We know he's here. He's here. His power is here. His might is here. His knowledge is here. His deliverance is here. Whatever he is, whatever he has is here. He said, all things the Father has is given to me. And he said, you go into all the world, you take what the Father's given to me and you do what I did. Now, you must believe that. Not just mentally assent, mentally agree with that, not just a mental religion, but you got to believe that. You got to be convinced and persuaded that is true and there's no options. But the second part of the verse says that not only must you believe that he is, but you must also believe that he does something. What does he do? What does he do, Johnny Bob? Read it. But that he what? There you go. That he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, that's a two or three part sermon. It really is. That's why for me, I don't do it much ever anymore, hardly ever. But to go to a new place I've never been and take this with me. Oh, man. And they're sitting there like, and you get to come out and let them have it just like, just like that. God will reward you openly. Will he really? Because see, they never heard that. A lot of them haven't. They've heard about it, but it's never been pounded into them. It's never been pushed. It's never been pow, pow, pow into their minds. They've never had to go home and think about it and go out in the woods and wrestle with it. They've just heard a little story and it was over. But you push it in there and you pound it and you preach it and you proclaim it. And you hang in there and you keep doing it. It's the work of the Spirit then to make you understand that. And one day the light comes on. And when the light comes on, you hear a clunk. Or a clunk or a dink. You know what a clunk and a dink is, don't you? You hear that. And your life changes. Suddenly there is newness of life. Something to do, a way to live, a direction to go you've never gone before a pursuit, and really an open door to his rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Reward how? Well, read it. 8,000 promises. All of them are in Christ. Yes and amen. Well, they've never really worked for me before. Keep coming. Don't give up. Get your headpiece straight. Your mind straight. Get yourself in a mental mode where, Lord, I've come to hear the word. Undo me from tomorrow and undo me from today. And for one hour, let my mind be in your hands. And, Lord, feed me. Show me and reveal to me my need. And he will. And he certainly will. But that's what God requires of you. He wants you to live. What does he say in 2 Corinthians 5, 7? We walk by what? Y'all remember that? We walk by faith in what? 
Well, is there any other way to walk? The just shall live by faith. He said if they heard the word, but the word didn't work for them, it's because they didn't believe the word. Because God is waiting for your faith in his word to touch him, and then the answer comes, the response comes, the manifestation comes. That's the way God works with us. Again, we've been so busy in church. We've been so busy in church that we just seem to be compelled. Now that we're Christian, we can't just sit in these seats every week. We need to get out here and do something because the only way people know we're changed is by doing something. Which brings me to my fourth reason we believe. We believe because it evidences God's work in us. It evidences God's work in us. You don't have to be saved in a church to do something. You can join any religious institution you want to. Maybe some of you have a better, more outgoing personality than other people do, and you get out and, boy, the church says, we need to use him. That guy's really good. Or maybe you think you can sing well, and the preacher says, oh, boy, we need to have him in a choir. See, this is how we do it. So we build a new building, we get it all gussied up and we have this and we get the school buses to go get our people. I mean, we do all these compassionate, and I'm not against doing things to get people to hear the gospel. But if that is to replace faith in God, it's a terrible substitute. Because it's sitting here and listening that God forms in your heart and in your mind his way for you. You can't just say, well, we go to church because we're members and we listen to sermons. But we go about our lives doing things as we should and we just trust the leadership in the church that whatever they want us to do, we do it. Or we go on mission trips to Haiti or something. Well, again, I'm not opposed to helping anybody that can't help themselves. I'd try to do that myself. If I can't go, I, I send my money. But I could be a part of all that. But folks, it's while you're sitting here. It's while you're thinking. It's when you power down for an hour and you get quiet. And you chose to listen and your mind begins to race. You gather in those words that you heard. And you feel the opposition in your mind and in your heart to oppose to it. You know you're not living like that. And so, so there's this war that goes on. There's a disquieted spirit and you're wrestling. But that's a good thing. God doesn't want you to feel all right about just going to church and being a member. The, the ministry of Jesus was more about teaching than anything else. Teaching. He went about teaching, taught the people, explained to the people. In the days of Jehoshaphat, the great victory over those armies that came up from the south was because his nation, for I don't know how long, had been systematically taught from the law by the teaching priest. And when the enemy came, they didn't even get her sword out. They just went out, just faced the enemy without fear. And here came the enemy, armed, wanting to kill, and they weren't scared of them. And God turned them against each other. I wonder if that's a New Testament type. I think so. But we're sitting here, we listen. 
And while we're listening, we're pondering, we're thinking, Lord, Lord, what about that? So you begin to let conviction come. I spoke of that Sunday. It's a good thing, folks. It's when you're not here, you, you miss that. That's what you miss. You may not get that on a tape. You might, I don't know. But let me give you another point, another reason why we believe this is a little bit unusual, I suppose. We believe because it delivers us from independence. From doing our own thing. We believe because it keeps us from trying to figure out what we ought to do. It keeps us from being the lone ranger, a distant expert, a cruisomatic, going to and fro in the kingdom and passing judgment on what he hears, but assuring himself, I know I'm all right because I know one time at an altar of prayer and so forth. I know the Lord saved me. And yet nobody can harness those actions. Nobody can teach that person because he knows everything. I've run into a few of them in my life. Some were quite memorable. They would be a pastor's nightmare because they knew too much. I remember a man once I was told went to a seminary and the seminarians told him, well, we can't teach you. You know more than we do. And I think that was his whole goal in life was to be numero uno in the mental business. I memorize more and seems like I know more. And yet when it came down to faith in this guy's life, it was a non-factor. Just like today in the church. You know why faith is not a big deal or believing is not a big deal in the church? It's a non-factor. It has nothing to do with building, gaining membership. Some would even say, you preach like that. I did Oh, three or four years ago, I went to a place, an old friend of mine asked me to come and preach for him, and I did. And I would have thought when it was over, I thought the police were coming. I mean, it got so quiet. You know what I was teaching on? Faith, hope, and love. There's not much murder in faith, hope, and love. <laughs> that sounds pretty simple to me. And the greatest of these is love. And I remember when I got ready to go, he said, boy, they'll be glad to hear me when I preach again after hearing that. This isn't new to me. You know, they used to call me in New Orleans, terrible Tom with his trumpet of tribulation. <laughs> I'm not trying to be terrible anything. I'm not trying to make something hard. I'm just trying to make us understand what it says so that we don't let it get by. I mean, I have to live everything I talk to you about. I have to live the same way. I fight the same stuff you fight, of course, obviously. But it's this business of believing keeps us from being, well, independent. Turn to Hebrews 10. Keeps us from being independent. Delivers me from it. Delivers me from being exclusive. You know, we are number one. We are at the top of the stack. We are, we are, we are. I think I've ran into a few that seems like they thought like that in some way. But Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, he talks about the assembling of ourselves together. You, you remember this. He said, verse 24, 
And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. That'd be hard to do if you just came occasionally or showed up every now and then. You can't relate to anybody like that. Besides, who would trust you? And the next verse says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That day that he's talking about is approaching. It's, it's going to be a day of we're going to have to get together and be encouraging to each other. But if you don't feel like you need to be here, I don't need that. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to belong to church. I don't need a preacher tell me what to do. You know what? You're not believing what God said. You're not a believer. You're a mental assenter. You're a Bible quoter. You are not a believer. Because if you believed, you would be a doer of the word. This is part of it right here. And not a hearer only. I believe we all belong somewhere. I do. I believe God put every one of us somewhere. If we live here in this town, it was convenient because he did it here. A lot of people had to give up a whole lot to move here. I admire people like Jeff that walked away from more than most people would to come here. I had to give up a house, a paid-for house to come here. I didn't have to. I chose to. Just to be in the right place. It's a humbling thought. To come to a place like this and have to surrender yourself and esteem others as better than you and to think about how you can provoke one another to good works, you can't do that occasionally. You don't just say, I think I'll go to church this morning. When's the Easter Bunny coming? Hey, I think I'll go. You're not a believer. You're not a believer because a believer is a doer. A believer actively puts together and does what God says in his word. That's what believing means. If you're picking and choosing like the Pharisees did what you want to believe and you have omitted things from the law or from the word that you don't want to believe, Jesus didn't have much good to say to the Pharisees and he doesn't have much to say to these people who are experts and so forth either. Luke 17 this is a real common verse. Everybody in here knows this by heart. Luke 17 and verse 10. Remember he said, and was it verse 5, Lord? What did he say in verse 5? Lord, what? Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. I wonder why. I wonder why. Was it because it's important? Was it because Jesus complimented those that did so much? O woman, great is thy faith to the centurion. Neither one of these were Jews. I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Have faith in God, the fig tree. Oh, you have little faith. Did he make a big deal out of faith? He sure did. He said, Lord, increase our faith. In verse 17, he came to this conclusion. So likewise you. When you have done all those things, which your faith, excuse me, which are commanded you, say this, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Well, there's not much you can be proud of, can you? Can you? When you're walking by faith and again, you're sitting here, you let God deal with your mind and your heart. 
I mean, your heart will tell you clear. Before you get away and walk away from God, your heart will clearly tell you, if you get away from this, you die. This is how God has chosen to save. You don't want this, there's nothing else. So, God, especially when you're young. Oh, Lord. So you decide to do it. So you start living by faith and you get this testimony. You laid hands on this one. They recovered. You did this. You did that. Next thing you know, God is using you. Wow. You led 10 people to the Lord, went to another country and did this or did that. And before you get to boast about it, you know what he says? When you've done all those things that were commanded you, say this. We are still unprofitable servants. We have only done that which was our duty to do. You see, I believe that faith in God connects us to his way. This is the way. Walk. It's always an act. The way is followed with something you do. If you only want to sing about the way, you only want to talk about the way, memorize the part about the way, but you don't want to do the way, you are not a believer. You might be a good church member. You might be, but you're not a believer. You say, well, that kind of condemns me. It's not intended to condemn you. The Bible said he that believeth not is condemned. Isn't that right? Terrible. Tom? I mean, we're here for a reason, aren't we? We really are. There's a work to be done. There's a work to be done. There's a race to be run. Every hour by thy power, I'll go through. It's life. I believe because it delivers me from thinking highly of myself, from being important in the church, from esteeming others less than I am. It delivers me from all of that, just simply believing. I'm at the mercy of God's revelation. And what he shows me is the only right thing I can do. Oh, we just love your teaching. I'm supposed to teach. We just love it. I'm supposed to. It's when I put myself into it and say, God, I'll take care of this one tonight. That you get away from something and people like that. But boy, when you get back to the word, whoa. Another reason, number six, is the way I overcome. I believe because this is how God enables me to overcome. First John 5, 4, this is a victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. I mean, that's the way it works. It's you taking God at his word, counting on him to do what he said, in spite of the circumstances, God is faithful. He brings you through and your life grows. You overcome. The devil begins to respect you and fear you because you're engaged in a battle with the devil. And he begins to fear you because he knows that you trust God. And if you tell him to go, he has to go. But he knows that. The Bible's full of that. You resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. Another reason, a seventh reason, we believe because it's how we mature. It's how God prepares us for what's coming, for heaven or for the bride it's how he matures us. James 1, count it all joy when you encounter or fall into different kinds of trials, knowing what? 
that the testing of your faith worketh what? Say patience. Or you can say endurance. It's probably a better word. Endurance. Stay with itness. How's that for a word? Stay with itness. Google that up. Stay with itness. Don't let go of itness. Hold fast to itness. Unwilling to relinquishness. That's what faith will do. Let faith have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Did you know that the deeper work that God will do in you will be because he's inspired you to believe? It is. You read that in 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 through 4, about how important knowledge is to you believing. We'll talk about that Sunday. It's just the power that comes with, with taking God at his word and the preparatory work that takes place in you in getting yourself ready. Because the Bible says when the Son of Man returns, when the Son of Man returns, will he find what? Amen. Why? Listen to me. It's the only thing you can do in anticipation of God doing what he's going to do that pleases him. I'm counting on you. I relinquish all my mental faculties and my wisdom of this world. I give it all up and say, let God be true and every man a liar. And lastly and finally, we believe because, Hebrews 10, we believe because, verse 38 and 39, we believe because it's how we're saved. I even left one point out. I, I didn't leave it out, but I could add one. It's how we're blessed. But anyway, let's get this for them. We'll finish. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, what does God say? Well, that's hard. I still think that's a hard word. If any man draws back, God says, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But he says, we are not of those who draw back to destruction, but those who believe to what? Are y'all still with me? Those who believe to the saving of the soul. Not, I believe back here at an altar of prayer 20 years ago. No, 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 no. That's, that's not going to work. We believe to the saving. It doesn't end once it starts. Believing is not a one-time affair. It is a continuous way of life. We live by faith. We receive the end of our faith or the result of giving it up. But this is a simple message. It's how God wants us to live. It's what belongs to us, and it's ours. You have got to love the message of faith. It gives you so much. All that God has is offered to you. If thou canst believe, all things are possible. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. Thank you for the wisdom that shows us how to put all this to practice, Lord, and how to live on your terms. Ask you to bless your word to your people tonight, that you would give us understanding.
You give us a desire. A desire to walk this way and not try to look back. To keep our hands gripped on the plow. And know that you who promised all these things, that you are faithful. That just because something hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't. Give us courage. Make us to be strong. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.